You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us for this Viva podcast. The category of bioactive dental materials has continued to evolve in dentistry, and with that has come confusion and controversy. Today, we will address basic questions and provide some clarity concerning this interesting class of restorative materials. Our guest, Dr. Troy Schmetting, maintains a private practice in Walnut Creek, California, and lectures both nationally and internationally on aesthetics and restorative materials. Dr. Schmetting also serves as a key opinion leader for numerous manufacturers helping develop and bring new products to market. Before we get started today, I would like to thank Septadon for sponsoring this Viva podcast. We all know Septadon for their broad array of premium dental products, including Septicane, which is their widely used local dental anesthetic. They also have the Dentapen, which is a super innovative local anesthetic delivery system. You should all take a look at that. And many other products, including Biodentine and BioRoot RCS. Dr. Schmetting, it's a pleasure to have you on Dental Talk. Well, thanks, Bill. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. So what exactly is bioactive in regards to dental applications? And certainly, in my opinion, bioactive materials are really one that's on the, uh, on the forefront of things that are probably going to begin to change the way we do dentistry. But ultimately, if the concept really comes down to the simple sense that we have a material that we hope with the properties involved in that material begin to lay down an appetite crystalline type formation in relationship to the um, ability of the simulated body fluid. So what I mean by that is just simply a material that responds to the overall environment of the condition of the oral cavity and begins to lay down a natural formation of whether that be a dental replacement, a calcium type substitute material, to, for one, begin to marginalize your seal of your product and give us longevity to restorations, which is ultimately our goal. So is this material in lieu of using a typical composite restorative, or um, is this something that we use adjunctively, depending on the case? Yeah, yeah. So it's certainly a material, in my opinion, that's used adjunctively. And what I mean by that is you have materials across the boards, and we've had ranges of materials and bioactives for years, everything from calcium hydroxides all the way up to the newer materials in relationship to the resin-modified calcium silicates. And ultimately, these materials lack a lot of number of things in relationship to physical properties that will ultimately will not allow you long-term use. So ultimately, yes, it's in combination with a, uh, in today's world, more of a composite resin-based material in form of a capping-type material. You can certainly use these materials for an interim-type basis in terms of a diagnosis, in terms of uh, an overall outcome in relationship to how we uh, wait and see so approach in terms of how we would handle a, a deep caries restoration, a um, pulpal um, exposure, those type of things that would allow it to sit into a waiting period. But yes, this is certainly a product line that would be in combination with a uh, definitive restorative material. Okay, so this is kind of like a dentin replacement material then we could say. 100%. In my world, I deal with septodont material called biodentine, and that's what that's used primarily in my practice. It certainly has a lot of broader range adaptations in relationship to perforations, apexifications, different types of things that would certainly be broadcast in the endodontic type world. But for me, being a restorative dentist, I tend to use this mostly as a dent replacement material. Okay, so you mentioned biodentine. And that's a Septadon product, and um, we disclosed earlier that they are sponsoring this podcast. Are there many uh, bioactive materials that serve as dentin replacement uh, materials, or are we limited to just a few? 
No, there's, there's quite a broad range of it. And like I said, it's, it goes all the way back to the calcium hydroxide dical days, all the way up now to the newer uh, resin-modified calcium silicates that you would see brand name would be like a Theracal from the Bisco product line. And that whole broad range certainly differs in how they deal with, for one, physical properties of materials, the ability for that material to stay underneath a restoration for a long period of time, all the way up to this new resin-modified um, calcium silicate materials, which will increase your strength and adaptation, but ultimately gives you a challenge of dealing with the resin and the potential for any cytotoxicity that can occur with pulpal tissue. So there's a really a broad range, and that's a lot of where the um, confusion lies with the general practitioner is exactly what is this material, what's it indicated for, and what's its, what's its pros and cons. Okay, so you mentioned biodentine, and that's one of the products that you like. Can you give us an example of when you would use this product? So one of the reasons I go with biodentine, in, in, in a case, for instance, a patient comes in with a very deep carious lesion near pulpal exposure or a pulpal exposure, that's my go-to material in terms of placing a dental coverage over the top of that. Whether I'm more than likely in cases like that, I will place the biodentine into, um, into occlusal function for up to six months. Give myself a chance of vitality to see what's going to happen with nerve response. But ultimately, the benefit of that material and my relationship to it is that simply it's doing a couple of things for me. For one, it's beginning to lay down a secondary bridge of dentin or give us that extra material capping over the top of a, of a near exposure or exposure. But ultimately, the, the longevity of it is it's a material that will go to, upon mixing, will take itself to an alkaline-based type material. Now, why is that so important in relationship to bioactive? Is it's got the ability to kill bugs. Bugs don't respond well to an alkaline-based environment. So placing that material in there, I know I'm gonna eliminate bugs. And secondary, I know I'm gonna get the beginning tertiary dentin layer uh, beginning to form and gives me an ability for that material to be in, a, in a, a state of function and occlusion for a period of time because that material itself certainly has compressive strengths far better than most of the materials on the marketplace in relationship to no resin-based um, ad, uh, additions to this material. So that's generally my go-to most of the time in my practices for a direct pulp cap an indirect pulp cap, or just a deep carious lesion that I want to sit rest for a period of time to actually see what happens with that tooth. And in today's environment where we're seeing emergency patients only at this particular case in dentistry, this is a material that a lot of dentists should have just simply for that sense of placing, leaving, and decreasing that chance of sensitivity and allowing this pandemic to go away while we allow things to uh, kind of resolve. So it's a nice material that way, but generally I'm using mine mostly in a direct restorative procedure approach. In the cases of a very deep carious lesion, whether it's a pulp exposure or you want to do more of an indirect pulp cap, are the t days of using it temporary just, you know, gone now uh, with this material? Because I assume what you would do is you would fill the cavity prep all the way up to the occlusal surface with biodentine and then once you find that the patient is asymptomatic you mentioned six months or whatever period of time you would bring the patient back and say my records indicate that it was practically a pulp exposure or it was a vital pulp exposure and after six months you're pretty sure you have some dentin produced and protecting the pulp now would you leave a layer in there so you would remove like the top of it the coronal part of it and leave what three or four millimeters and then go ahead and put a composite resin on top 
So that's a great question. Yeah, ultimately what I'll do is I'll always get them back and confirm radiographically to the best of my abilities to see if we've got some form of a tertiary dentin layer. And you'll be surprised what you can see in a six-month period time frame. But from there, yeah, my ultimately what I will do is I will prep that down to a level that I feel comfortable in relationship to adding a composite directly over the top of that. So I do leave mine in place. I will give it to a sense that I'm going to get a complete resin seal, obviously, on the cable surface. But the material itself has a finite ability to be bonded to directly with a total etch technique. And there's a number of research articles out there that relate to the overall bond strength that you receive from uh, bonding directly to the biodentine product. So that's my protocol. You certainly could remove that. My chances of or my concerns with removing it 100% would just be simply reopening that sure. uh, Pandora's box, so to speak. So I do leave mine in place and have left it in place with great success. The nice thing about biodentine itself, it has a wonderful radio opacity as well. So you're able to radiographically see that material, which is obviously extremely important. So if you do have an exposure, a small exposure, uh, and a, the tooth is vital, so you get a little bit of bleeding, how, how do you clinically apply the biodentine in, in that situation? So for me, my protocol would simply do a couple things. I need to control the bleeding first. If I have uncontrollable hemorrhaging and that type of thing, I may opt for a root canal at that point. If I'm able to control the hemorrhaging, with me, generally, it's just a direct pressure with a cotton pellet. And if I get the bleeding to be under control, then initially from there, there's no preparation to the dental surface at all other than placing, placing the increments that you want, depending on the level you want to go with that. Like I said, or you said as well, I will take that all the way up to occlusal surface at that point. And then it's a set time. The material on this is going to take about 10 to 12 minutes to set to 100% um, physical properties. So that's my protocol in that sense. What is the future of bioactive materials in dentistry? What's the trend in, and what do you see doctors using for these kinds of cases uh, going forward? Well, I think bioactivity is really a big, broad um, field. of uh, It's definitely on the horizon in the sense that the biocompatibility and the re regenerative properties of these materials you know, ultimately have saved countless teeth up to this point. So ultimately the goal would be to take these properties and, and fortify them and drive them to a point of maybe a quicker working time, as well as a, a material that has the physical properties to be placed once and be done. But I think the overall end result would be that if we can create materials that can work in, you know, moist environments, things that are very difficult to react to in a resin-based environment, but also give us that ability to refortify a tooth to its natural state is the ultimate goal of dentistry. And I think that's certainly something that's going to continue to be pushed forward in dentistry as we move move along. Using this material, as you mentioned, for deep restorations where, where the you end up removing the decay and you're really close to the pulp, I know we, we talked about calcium hydroxide products of the past. I know in dental school, we used to use Dical. Some countries still use it all the time. Are some dentists using glass ionomer and not really moving towards the bioactive materials? I mean, is that something you used to use and you've moved towards products like biodentine? Or is there still a place for glass ionomers as a liner? Or maybe you're not using glass ionomers when you're that deep or that close to the pulp. You'd have to be a little further away to use that as a liner. Yeah, I think most of what you're seeing a lot is that a lot of dentists do use some form of a glass ionomer, resident be a resin modified glass ionomer or glass ionomer. I don't know the marketplace necessarily, but I'm assuming that's probably a bigger marketplace than 
uh, a biodentine, a calcium hydroxide type thing about that. And I think a lot of that just simply comes down to the ease of use and the ability to light or tack cure a lot of those. Obviously, the resin-modified glassometers are very easy to use. Now, like I said, the formulation and how they work is slightly different in relationship to you know, the ability to have a calcium release versus a fluoride release. So they certainly condition and treat dentin differently uh, depending on where you're at in relationship to the tooth or the depth. I'm not sure there's a lot of different terms and strategy, but I know the closer I get to the pulp, I tend to lean more towards something that's going to be a calcium release, more of a less cytotoxic possibilities in relationship to a resin monomer. So certainly a playing field for all of that. Uh, I think a lot depends on the rationale and where you are at in relationship to tooth structure to give yourself the best uh, outcome. Anything you want to add, uh, make any recommendations clinically to our audience? No, I think I think the big thing is everyone just uh, to stay up to kind of up to date in terms of what actually actually is in the bioactive world. Because like I said, it's a very big, broad range in terms of everything from physical properties to mechanical uh, operations in relationship to how are you laying down this different type of uh, tertiary dentin, whether it be from a floral appetite, whether it be from a calcium hydroxide type angle. So there's all kinds of avenues, and it's really difficult to group this section into bioactive as being bioactive all by itself because it's a big broad range and so the confusion factor lies quite heavily if you're not doing your research or staying up to date on what these materials are doing for you yeah yeah no that's a good point and you can always check out septodon's website they should have some information on there and i think there's some pdfs that you can pull down and and like you suggest there's i'm sure you can do some searches for publications on biodentine or just in general bioactive materials uh, that serves the dentin very well when it gets very close to the pole. Thank you very much, Dr. Smenny. I appreciate you being on the show. And uh, I think you've done some webinars for Viva Learning. Have you not? I have. Yeah, yeah I have. It's always good to get in front of you guys and uh, appreciate what you do bringing us uh, dental education. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we've our attendance with this COVID-19 crisis has been off the charts. We had yeah. over 3,000 people on a webinar the other day, 3,000 at the same time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely unbelievable how much traffic we're getting and obviously the docs are sitting at home with their staff sitting at home isolated and so they're taking their ce and they're also listening to a lot of podcasts so we expect to get a lot to listen to this one as well thanks again and uh, hope to have you on another podcast and or webinar soon great thanks Ralph. have a great day